Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only. And I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com. And if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Is at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he has allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Well, welcome to the Savage Nation podcast. Today, we recognize Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. I will reflect on my thoughts of King's dream and how it has been hijacked by BLM. What we're going through now has been building for a long time. This did not start with Donald Trump, as the media would have you believe. This did not start with George Floyd's death. This goes back more than a decade. Barack Obama himself escalated the racial division that we are now living through. 
Back in 2014, I discussed an unexpected trip to Memphis, Tennessee, and the feelings I had experienced when I saw the Lorraine Motel where King was assassinated. It was an unexpected visit because I was flying back from Florida to California, and the plane experienced technical difficulties, and we were forced to land in Tennessee. By chance, the driver asked me if I wanted to go see this historic site in Memphis. It was a moving experience, which I have never forgotten. Here is the exact piece from 2014. Please listen. Yesterday, I was on the way back from my location in Florida, where I broadcast for a day or so, and I came back to San Francisco, and we had to make a stop in Memphis. I had not planned on going to Memphis, Tennessee. I ne I've never been to Memphis, Tennessee. But for reasons I'd rather not discuss, we had to make a landing in Memphis. And I had about four or five hours to spend in a city I had never been to. I thought fate had put me down in Memphis because there's no other reason for this. And as the plane was descending over Memphis, I saw some of the most beautiful country in the entire world. And I've seen a lot of the world. I thought it was some of the most verdant, beautiful land I'd ever witnessed in my life. And I said, wow, Tennessee is really beautiful. I know I'm on the radio in Tennessee and uh, in that town in the Cumulus Station, right in, right in uh, the city of Memphis. And as I am in so, I'm on so many other cities. And, and when we landed, I knew we had four or five hours till we were going to take off again. And so we rented a car. And a guy said, I, I said, could you take us around? He said, well, where do you want to go? I said, well, okay, I know that there's Elvis's uh, thing here, Graceland. I mean, I was never a big fan of Elvis. I think he was a talented singer or whatever, but it's not my cup of tea to go there and see the hot dog people, you know. But nevertheless, I went to there. Then I said to him, listen to this. I mean, I didn't know much about Memphis. I said, look, I've been in the South a few times in my life, and I love the music. It's the middle of the afternoon, though. I didn't expect to hear blues music. He said, well, i got to take you to the riverfront, then i got to take you to Beale Street. I said, oh, Beale Street, isn't that like New Orleans? He said, yes, yeah, like New Orleans. So we hung out there, and I had some ribs. I, I took me to the best rib shop in town. He was from the area, black guy, nice guy. And I said, well, where's the best ribs for me? And anyway, so we had the ribs. I had the beer. I knocked down two buds. I destroyed my uh, lipids for the uh, probably for the year. Never felt so good in my life. It made up for the descent uh, over Memphis. And I said, well, now, look, before we leave Memphis, is there anything else I should see? He said, well, do you want to see the motel where Martin Luther King Jr. was shot? And like a bell went off in my head. I mean, I got chills up and down my spine because I had forgotten that Martin Luther King Jr. had been executed in this city of Memphis, Tennessee. And so he drove us there. And I got to tell you, a, a certain something came over us, us as we stood in front of that motel, a, a certain something came over us. Because i got to tell you that America changed the day Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, you can go to michaelsavage.com. I'm, I'm not trying to pump a website. And there's a picture of yours truly standing right in front of that motel where MLK Jr. was shot. They left the two cars there, the Cadillac and the Dodge, right underneath that balcony where he was uh, executed. And it was quite chilling. I mean, they built a civil rights museum and all. And I started to reflect on what's happened to America since Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, executed. And how, although he was a man who was not greedy in any way, and I would have to think he really cared about his people, I think about the, the, the horrible people who have cashed in on the civil rights movement since him. I think of people like Al Sharpton, uh, Jesse Jackson, but most importantly, I think about the sad state of America today, where we have a man, Barack Obama, who is as cynical as they come, who would not be president had it not been for the uh, assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., and I'll explain why I say that in great detail. And I went back to one of my slogans from 10 years ago, how sadly in America we have gone from I have a dream to I have a scheme. Yes, how we have gone from I have a dream to I have a scheme. Because Martin Luther King Jr., despite his flaws, and boy, are we all flawed. No man is perfect. 
boy, are we flawed. I've heard everything about him. But nevertheless, I also heard this man speak live. 1967-68, UN Plaza. I was a, a young high school teacher in New York City. I happened to be outside for lunch with a sandwich. And I heard him speak. I mean, there's a huge crowd. I've never been moved like that ever since. That speech was the greatest. I never heard a voice like that. Let me put it to you that way. That man had the ability to move mountains. He was definitely chosen for great things on this planet. And I thought about that. I thought about what I witnessed that day that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke in this country, how it moved me as a young kid, a young teacher with his first job in New York City. I thought about the hatred that I saw in the streets that day, the re the raging hatred, pure, unadulterated racist hatred like I've never seen in my that I had never seen anything like in my life simply because he was speaking. I thought about it, I just looked back upon it. And then I thought about another man with a great voice who came along, a false prophet by the name of Barack Obama, who has instead of helping to lift up his people has pushed his own people back down further than they've ever been in this country. You see, you don't understand what I'm trying to say to you. You think that Obama and Holder are out to help the African American? At least that's what they seem to say, but they're not, not in my estimation. I think that, I'm sorry to tell you that Obama and Holder are willing to shaft the huge population of American Africans by flooding America with armies of Central Americans and Mexicans. By displacing the poor African-American population in this country with an army, a tsunami of Central American and Mexicans, who do you think will be most hurt economically by this human tsunami that Obama is using in this country right now? Unfortunately for us, false prophets have taken Martin Luther King Jr.'s mantle and used it for personal uh, advantage, in my estimation. And what's uh, strikingly obvious to me is that the flood, uh, the human flood that's being brought in uh, into this country by Obama and Holder will affect the uh, poor African Americans in this country far, far, far more so than white people. I don't understand why there's no outcry. So outside the museum yesterday, outside the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, as I stood, frankly, in awe next to the Lorraine Motel, I didn't even know it existed, to be frank. It's like when our car pulled up to it, I said, holy God, that's it? Because I've seen it in movies. I've seen, I thought it was six stories high. I didn't know it was two. And there was the exact balcony where he was executed. And there's something chilling to stand there, you know, with the Cadillac and the Dodge from that moment still sitting there. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Have you become a victim of the timeshare trap? You think there's no way out? Well, Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has helped over 35,000 families out of financial hardship by getting them out of bad timeshares, and they may be able to help you too. Listen, if your timeshare agreement goes on forever, if you were told timeshares are a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, you, know, you need to get the facts about timeshare cancellation. For over 10 years, Wesley Financial Group has been dedicated to helping folks get out of a lifetime of debt by canceling their timeshares. So they created a free timeshare exit information kit that reveals how the timeshare industry works and your options for cancellation. To get your free timeshare exit information kit, simply go to iCancelTimeshare.com. That's iCancelTimeshare.com. I'll say it one more time, iCancelTimeshare.com. Thank you very much. I cancel timeshare.com. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. You listen to that speech, and you have to believe that there are people on the earth as flawed as he was, as flawed as I am, as flawed as you are, because we are not God. None of us are God. Maybe Obama thinks he's God, but I don't. Most normal people understand that they're human beings with limitations.
And he he had many flaws. We heard all of the slanders about him and all the truths, the plagiarism, the womanizing, the this and that. Doesn't mean he couldn't have been inspired. Could, doesn't mean he couldn't have had a prophetic uh, streak within him. And what he was saying was quite different than what you're hearing today from Holder and Obama, isn't it? Uh, you're not hearing the same things you heard from Martin Luther King Jr. about uh, people of all races getting along and living together. You're hearing about the supremacy of a certain race over others. You're hearing about the fact that you have poverty in this country that's overwhelming in certain communities, and yet he's bringing in millions of impoverished people from Central and South of Central America, Mexico. They're not all working here. You don't have two or three-year-olds working, do you? How could you stupid liberals, and I call you stupid liberals, how could you idiots take the bait like guppies in a tank to believe that he wants to bring in illegal aliens because they'll do the jobs no American will do when you see with your own eyes that many or most of this flood, this tsunami that he's bringing in now, illegally, by the way, are not workers. They're children. Little girls and little boys, three years old to eight years old, mixed in with them are hardcore gang members. Who is going to take care of these children, many of whom are infected with diseases that were once eradicated in this country? Who will pay for their medical care, their housing? Who will educate them with all of the expensive English as a second language? Who's going to pay for it? Well, your answer, your answer is quite clear. You will. You, the liberal moron, and I, the conservative genius, will pay for it. But I will tell you who's going to be hurt the most the poor. And so that woman in Memphis sat outside the Lorraine Motel all these years with her flyer, had a flyer that said $27 million to renovate the Civil Rights Museum. Meanwhile, with nearly one in five residents stuck below the poverty line, metropolitan Memphis ranks as by far the most impoverished large metro area in the nation, close quote. And she said that money shouldn't be going to renovate a museum. She said it should be going to the poor to help them. Now, if you have a finite resource base, finite amount of resources, how can you bring in millions of poor people and not hurt the millions of poor that already exist here? How? I got to tell you something. Look, I didn't plan on landing in Memphis, and I did. We had a land. I didn't plan on going to the Elvis Museum. Now, by the way, that's the other side of the coin. That's the other side of the coin. The poor white that goes to the Elvis Museum, the sheeple. The white who doesn't know where he is in the world, walking around buying a hot dog, uh, a trinket. I couldn't believe it. I didn't. I thought I was on a drug. I thought someone slipped me something in the in the van. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I never saw anything like it in my life. It was it was an I was just something astonishing. The, the okay, but God, you know, you like the Elvis thing, but look in the same city. Look in the same city. You have an icon of uh, a certain segment of the white population, Elvis Presley. And you have an icon of the civil rights movement, and you can't just say of the black population because there are many others who were affected by Martin Luther King Jr. I think there'd be you'd be a fool not to say we were all not affected by Martin Luther King Jr. You'd be an ignoramus not to understand that. In the same city, I said, there's something here for me. I haven't yet digested it because it was only yesterday. It was only yesterday in my life. It takes me sometimes days, months, weeks to absorb why fate or God puts me in certain situations or places. But all I can tell you is I was extremely moved emotionally by, I mean, I was moved by that, that Lorraine Motel. I, I can't even explain why. I mean, maybe it was a part of my life that died when he was shot. I don't know. Certainly true. Certainly America's never recovered from his execution. It's never recovered from the execution of John F. Kennedy Jr. Never recovered from the execution of RFK Jr. And it's never going to recover from the gangsters that have taken over this country. Never. It can never recover from this gang. It can't recover. And why do I say that? Because throughout time there's always been evil men, power-mad people who have been constrained by the U.S. Constitution in the case of this nation, and by a vigorous opposition party, and by... Uh, a, a vigorous press, the fourth estate. But as I told you before, the fourth estate long ago became the fifth column for communism in this country. Write it down because it's probably the best thing I've ever said. The fourth estate became the fifth column for communism slash socialism in this country a long time ago, which is why all we have are clowns, stone clowns on television, passing for journalists now. 
So all I can do is sit here from the outside and not throw stones at the world, but try to make sense of the world for the millions of you who can't. It's the truth. It's the truth. You say, well, Mike, why can't you do anything about it? Why can't you help us pull us out of this part? Because I'm not Moses. I can't part the Red Sea. We're all going to drown from this Red Sea that is engulfing us in this nation because it's being done on purpose. And I don't have the way to part the Red Sea. That's got to be done by God. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. On this day celebrating Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy and his birthday, my producers put together a montage contrasting Dr. King and the civil rights leaders, so-called, of today. Here's a few minutes of what I thought about what we're living through in 2015. You have to understand it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is very important to a, a certain number of people in the population. I have long felt it should be named Ethnic Day rather than Martin Luther King Jr. Day because we're told that it just, just doesn't stand for African-Americans. It stands for all ethnic people. Well, if it stands for all ethnic people, why not call it Ethnic Day? Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, there are other ethnicities in America other than Caucasian and African American. So why not call it Ethnic Day? Does that make sense or is that offensive? Is that offensive to you? Now, I was, I was one of the living people in the media who actually heard Martin Luther King Jr. speak live. I was a very young school teacher in Manhattan. And he was speaking outside the U.N. in the street. I was I was very moved by his voice, number one. I mean, look, I was young. I, I don't know, 20 years old, 21. And when I heard him give that speech out there, my, my body vibrated. I wouldn't say I, I reacted the way uh, Chris Matthews did to Barack Obama's speech. But I did feel a, vib a vibration from his great rhetorical skills and his tremendously powerful voice. And I was moved by it. And I don't have to give you my bona fides. I, when I went to Memphis last year, when my the plane I was on had to do a forced landing, and I was spent hours in Memphis, and we took a tour of a number of things, including uh, the best ribs on Beale Street, as much beer as I could possibly swill in an hour. And then uh, I said to the, the driver, where should I go? He said, oh, you have to see Martin Luther King Jr.'s. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. So we went to the Lorraine Motel, which is, I really moved me. And I did a an homage to Martin Luther King Jr. Don't ever forget that one, you know. Don't don't, don't paint me with your left wing tar brushes. It's only going to leave stains on your own overalls. Let me tell you that it doesn't work anymore. But Martin Luther King Jr. is not Barack Obama. Martin Luther King Jr. is not uh, Eric Holder. Martin Luther King Jr. is not. Make it clear, Al, the criminal. I won't even finish the last name. The hate coming from the black leadership in America today is something Martin Luther King Jr. would have been revolted by. Because when he gave his I Have a Dream speech, he said he was interested in the day when uh, little white children and black children could join together, and he was more interested in the color of... Didn't he say the character of a man's soul rather than the color of his skin? Well, I challenge you to tell me the day Obama talked about the character of the skin or Eric Holder or uh, whatever his name is, that cretin from MSNBC. When have they talked about anything other than color? And that's why I've said, we've gone from I have a dream to I have a scheme. So listen to this now in that context in the Savage Nation. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident 
that all men are created equal. Well, I think cracker is a certain personification of a certain type of person down south, just like redneck. I mean, <laughs> though this nation has proudly thought of itself as a ethnic melting pot, in things racial, we have always been, and we, I believe, continue to be, in too many ways, essentially a nation of cowards. For the first time in my adult lifetime, I'm really proud of my country. And when you uh, look at uh, what's happened in law enforcement across the country over the last several years, that's not news to African Americans. What's different is simply that some of it's now videotaped. God damn America, that's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating our citizens as less than human. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. I challenge anyone listening to this program to, to, to prove to me that Eric Holder, Barack Obama, Al Sharpton, or any of the other race insiders in this country talk about uh, the character of individuals rather than skin color. They are actually the opposite of what Martin Luther King Jr. wanted for this country. They are the sharp men. They are the men that he knew were to be avoided at all costs. And look where we are as a nation today, more divided than since the civil rights movement. We are in a new Cold War because of Obama's bungling and his hatred for Russia and his desire to appease the socialist European Union. The nation may look like it's in good shape, but I don't see it that way. Nevertheless, I thought I would give you a little taste of the back uh, story on the Savage Nation today. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Dr. King's dream is our dream. It is the American dream. It's the promise stitched into the fabric of our nation, etched into the hearts of our people, and written into the soul of humankind. It is the dream of a world where people are judged by who they are, not how they look or where they come from. It is the dream of a nation that offers life of dignity and hope to every American, regardless of color or creed. It is the dream of a nation, faithful to its founding principle, that we are all created equal. Let's face it, with what's going on in Congress right now, can you believe they put Bernie Sanders in charge of the Senate Budget Committee? An outright communist? Can you believe they took a bartender, occasional cortex who's a racial hater, from the core of her being, demanding money to fight white supremacy? Let me tell you something, the dream is over. I was a young man when King gave his I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. It stands today as one of the greatest political speeches in American history. I was stirred then as a young teacher, and I'm still stirred when I hear it played back today. What happened to King's words and his ideals? What happened to his dream of brotherhood and sisterhood under God? Today, the civil rights movement he led has been hijacked by revolutionary communists like Bernie Sanders and occasional Cortex. Do you think Dr. King would approve of what has gone on in our cities this year? The looting, the burning, and the suggestion that police departments should be defunded? After the trillions of dollars that have been spent, the illegal immoral affirmative action programs that have been put in place in hiring and scholarships since the 70s, we still have riots and looting. We still have systemic hatred toward white people. Just today, Occasional Cortex gave a speech demanding hundreds of millions of dollars to fight white supremacy. Was King's speech a vision of future reality, or was it always wishful thinking? There are many left-wing organizations, hate groups, and powerful individuals fomenting hatred right now, including, unfortunately, Oprah Winfrey. Yes, I said Oprah Winfrey. Here is a billionaire who had the nerve to put out a show on systemic racism. It's hard not to gasp when you hear someone in her position make believe she's part of a radical movement. The day after her hate rally on television, here's what I tweeted, quote, Billionaire Oprah screams about systemic racism. Guess she would be a trillionaire in a fair society. Yes, that was sarcasm. But seriously, how much more could she want? She's a talented woman who got where she did through talent, drive, and brains. Where else could she have become a billionaire? In what other country could she have done better than she did in this country? Winfrey isn't alone. 
You're not hearing Martin Luther King's words in the print media either these days. As painful as it is sometimes, I read them, many of them, and they're all fomenting revolution through their rhetoric. For me, it's nothing new. I've seen this from the left all my life. We again have the insane suggestion of paying reparations for slavery. A bill to study how this could be done passed the California Assembly just this last June, while fires from the recent spate of riots were still smoldering. Of course, senile Joe Biden was quick to jump on the bandwagon and saying, quote, he'd support paying reparations if, quote, there are ways to get direct payments for reparations, unquote. What? Sure, there's a way, Joe. You rob innocent taxpayers and cut checks to your voting blocks. You don't need a study to figure that out, Joe. Just do us all a favor and tell us who should be responsible to pay for this, since no living American has ever owned a slave, Joe. Yes, many early Americans owned slaves. No one denies that. But slavery was not invented in America. It was the status quo all over the world at the time, including in the countries from which the first slaves came. Did you know that? Slavery and bondage existed in almost every society going back to ancient times, even in Africa. I studied quite a few cultures during my time in academia and have read a lot of history outside of my formal studies, and I don't know of a tribe or culture that did not at one time engage in slavery. I know many liberals believe the Scandinavian countries were established in the 1970s when they suddenly decided to adopt socialism and born out of whole cloth as a paradise where everyone is peaceful and loving. Well, I'd like to remind them Scandinavia was once ruled by pirates we call the Vikings. In addition to the pillaging and murdering they are so famous for, they also enslaved people. The Vikings bought and sold people just as every other culture did at one time. That's how Denmark, Norway, Finland, and Sweden were established. Today, they are the descendants of slave-owning Vikings. You didn't know that. Today, the Vikings are long gone. The nations have been taken over by radical feminist leftists in Scandinavia. I'm not sure how that happened. How does a nation devolve from one extreme to another like that? Where have the men gone? There must be a few Vikings left in Scandinavia, but where are they? It's not that I'd like to see the killing and pillaging and slavery come back, but certainly little manly firmness, as Jefferson put it, would do all the Scandinavian countries a world of good. But I suppose that's why Scandinavians don't have to apologize for their slaveholding ancestors. You see, if you flood your country with immigrants, erase your borders, your language, your culture, and pay out enough welfare, you're off the hook for slavery. Here in America, we're not quite there yet. There are too many patriots still left in the population. Today, we have Black Lives Matter organizing so-called protests where buildings really do get blown up or at least burned down. This is due, they say, to systemic police racism as they rob braziers and television sets. America is the least racist nation on the planet. I'd also like to mention the BLM crowd, Antifa, and now, of course, Biden, Schumer, and the others have hijacked Martin Luther King's dream. They've hijacked it. It's not just BLM. I should say to you, as the ship that our civilization was sinking, we all sat in the stern listening as the band played on. They were playing selections from the opera Pagliacci, The Clowns, by Leon Cavallo. Thus did we play our own roles in that divine comedy called America. You know, it's hard to believe that when 2020 started, we were in the midst of the greatest economy the nation had ever seen. By the time the year was half over, we had a wrecked economy, burning cities, looted stores, and those not participating in the mayhem, stalking the streets in masks. How could all of this happen in such a short time? You really must go back to before the coronavirus. It started with the phony impeachment created by none other than Nancy Pelosi and her goon squad, based on made-up charges. In order to understand the racial division we're living through right now and how the fans are being flamed by Schumer, Pelosi, and the illegitimate, let's go back to Newark, New Jersey, years ago to 1967. At that time, Newark was a beautiful middle-class city. Then on July 12, 1967, a black cab driver was beaten and arrested by two white police officers for a very minor traffic infraction. It happened in Newark's central ward area. This was even before social media, but the word spread. According to History.com, here's what happened next. 
A crowd gathered outside police headquarters where the injured driver, who was rumored to be dead, was being held. Despite calls to remain calm, frustrated protesters fed up with the lack of response to their concerns began throwing rocks, breaking police station windows. Two days of looting followed, and when the looting stopped, the killing began as New Jersey Governor Richard J. Hughes called in state troopers and the National Guard to restore order. Well, let me tell you what happened next. By the time the carnage was over, there was massive property damage, hundreds of injuries, and loss of life. This previously beautiful city of Newark was destroyed forever. I hope that isn't the case for Minneapolis or Atlanta, but with the large numbers of white communities from universities in the area who are egging on the minorities, even with Biden in power, I don't know where this is going to end. I know Newark never recovered. We know what happened after the Rodney King affair. Why did this happen when it did? Well, here's what I tweeted back in May. Cop killed black man in slow-mo. You hear the poor man crying for his mother. He should be tried for murder in the first degree with added charges of a hate crime. That's me. So don't tell me I'm insensitive to the plight of oppressed minorities. I watched that cop kill George Floyd. I was sickened by it. It was homicide. And when I heard the man crying for his mother as he was dying, as the breath was being squeezed out of his neck, part of me started to weep. He was dying, begging this bastard cop to stop killing him, begging the cop to stop choking him to death with his knee on his uh, jugular vein. This big black man was on the ground handcuffed and helpless. He couldn't fight back. And this homicidal maniac with a gun in a club put his knee on the man's neck on his jugular vein. You could hear George Floyd gasping, begging him to stop. I once told you what seeing a cow killed in a slaughterhouse did to me. If that got to me the way it did, you could imagine how I felt when I saw this man being choked to death for all the world to watch. This big strong man crying for his mother as his life was crushed out of him by a cowardly, homicidal maniac. This cop should have been charged with a hate crime because this was clearly race-related. There was no question in my mind that was what I saw. I really wondered that day whether President Trump should close down Twitter and arrest the heads of CNN and social media companies who were fanning the flames the same way Abraham Lincoln cut telegraph lines and arrested newspaper editors during the Civil War. Did you know Lincoln also arrested 13,000 civilians under martial law, but you didn't know that? I realized that was wartime, and the South at that moment was not considered part of the United States. But are you telling me we don't have a civil war going on in this nation right now? I've called it a cold civil war for a while now. Is the left not as much a foreign nation as the Confederates were in 1862? In 2014, I published the first in a sequence of very important books, with titles that are also very important and will not be forgotten. The title of that first book in the series was Stop the Coming Civil War. I had planned to call the book simply The Coming Civil War, but my editors pleaded with me to modify it, so I had it stop. The truth is, we've been in a civil war since 1967, when the hippies invaded the media and the colleges, beginning a long march toward outright communism. Don't kid yourself that they're not behind these riots and this mayhem. Even though Biden has been elected, the undercurrent is still there, and the last I checked, Portland was still occupied by them. Still, I said the cop in the George Floyd case should be charged with first-degree murder and a hate crime. And by the way, he's on trial for murder. He's facing justice. No one in the media has supported the police more than I have. I've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for falsely accused cops. I know they're the only thing standing between us and total chaos and mayhem. It's not an exaggeration to say that without law and order, that is the safeguarding of life and property against exactly what went on in Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, and other places, there is no civilization. Yes, civilization depends upon protecting life and property. More than 2,000 years ago, Cicero went so far as to say safeguarding private property was the whole reason governments are formed. Cicero wrote this. For the chief purpose in the establishment of constitutional state and municipal governments was that individual property rights might be secured. For although it was by nature's guidance that men were drawn together into communities, it was in the hope of safeguarding their possessions that they sought the protection of cities. Can you believe that? Let me tell you this. 
Once private property is no longer safe, civilization is gone. I want you to remember that every time a left-wing television anchor or reporter euphemizes the wanton destruction of property as simply people expressing their anger at institutional injustice and saying that property is not the same as a life. Of course it isn't. But destroying the property of innocent third parties is not a legitimate form of protest. It is a crime that should be punished severely. I was angry myself when I saw the George Floyd video. And I'm still saying the anarchists who took advantage of the general anger over it to burn down uh, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Seattle, Portland, and several other cities should be thrown in jail for as long as the law will allow. But they won't be. And they will not be. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I say King's legacy is dead because of the propaganda in the media. In 2019, police shot 1,004 people, most of whom were armed or otherwise a threat to the safety of the officers. About 23% of those were African Americans. Now, the race baiters would say that is evidence itself, since African Americans only make up about 12 to 13% of the population. But that's not a valid conclusion. There are all sorts of factors that have to be controlled to look at this scientifically. McDonald says that the 23% number is actually less than the African-American crime rate would predict. In 2018, and this is a very, very troublesome thing to talk about as I discuss hijacking Martin Luther King's dream. In 2018, the last year for which there are statistics, African-Americans were 53% of known homicide offenders in the United States and committed about 60% of the robberies. I know those numbers may be embarrassing to many liberals, but facts are facts. Facts don't lie. Here's another fact for those of you who hate the police. A police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is likely to be killed by a police officer. I don't recall Oprah covering any of these statistics on her show. I don't recall Wolf blitzing any of these statistics on CNN. Oprah was too busy sailing around on David Geffen's 500-foot yacht. I think it's 500 feet. I, I lost track of the hundreds of feet. By the way, he's a billionaire white man. Should she ask David Geffen if he thinks it's a good idea for her to continue to scream his systemic racism and what he thinks will happen if she keeps fanning the flames and throwing lighter fluid on the charcoal? How long do you think people with big yachts will be able to float around? But what about defund the police? That big lie. As I watched American cities burning, stores being looted, and citizens being assaulted, one burning question seemed to beg itself. What do these people really want? They say they're angry about systemic racism, whatever that means. But what concrete action could their city, state, or federal governments take that would appease them? The real answer to that question is nothing. Nothing anyone can say or do will ever appease these malcontents because deep down, racism isn't the real problem to them. It's our civilization itself. It's private property and free enterprise. They ultimately want to destroy it until they succeed. Even a black president, a black governor, a black mayor, and African-Americans running a local school board will not satisfy them. We know this, of course, because we've had all of the above, and here they are still destroying our cities. They did come up with something, though, and that was a slogan called defund the police. It took several days before even the people spouting this nonsense knew what they meant by it. But it finally metamorphosed into taking money away from police departments and spending it on social workers community programs or public schools. Kamala Harris, our vice president, now she's a former prosecutor, a relatively tough one, by the way. She's an intelligent woman and should be espousing unity, the message of Martin Luther King Jr. Instead, Harris sounds like a child. I had no idea who was advising her, but at one point she actually came out with this little gem. Listen to what Harris said. The status quo has been to determine and create policy around the idea that more police equals more safety, and that's just wrong. 
You know what creates greater safety, said Kamala? Funding our public schools so that currently two-thirds of our public school teachers don't have to come out of their own back pocket to pay for school supplies. What does that have to do with anything? As far as Kamala Harris's claim that more police doesn't result in more safety, 80% of Americans disagree with Kamala Harris, who's now our vice president. A poll taken before George Floyd's death by the National Sheriff's Association showed that 8 in 10 Americans wanted to either maintain or even increase police funding. But that all changed after the horrific killing of Floyd by a Minneapolis cop. Right? Wrong. A Rasmussen report surveyed in early June at the height of the protest over Floyd's killing found that just 17% of Americans think there are too many police. Just 17%. And here's the real kicker. Only 27% of blacks surveyed think there are too many police. Only 27% of blacks surveyed think there are too many police. So these radical communists who have hijacked the civil rights movement don't remotely represent even most black people in this nation. Ironically, it's always been the rich who foment communist revolutions. Karl Marx himself came from a comfortable upper middle class family. Even though he was a near-do-well for most of his adult life, he sponged off his friend Frederick Engels, who also came from an even richer family. Vladimir Lenin also came from a comfortable middle-class family. His father was a self-made man who rose from serfdom to get a university education and eventually became a director of public schools and a nobleman. His mother came from a wealthy family. A lot of these revolutionaries were lawyers, too, just like Kamala Harris. Fidel Castro was a lawyer who came from a wealthy family. Did you know that? Did you know that Castro's father made a fortune in sugarcane? It's an old story. The parents work seven days a week building a business or bettering themselves to provide a comfortable life for their children. But the children grow up spoiled and become malcontents. So let me conclude. Martin Luther King's dream has been hijacked. The dream is over, especially with Biden and Harris fanning the flames of racial hatred. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Since today is MLK Jr. Day, or Civil Rights Day, a day for all of us to remember and think about, we should think about what equality means. We all think that equality is a grant and a given. But how does equality relate to obligations to a society? You say, wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. Aren't we all born equal? Well, we are all born equal, but we all have equal responsibilities or obligations to our society in order to achieve that equality. You can't just be granted equality. I was reading an article, C.S. Lewis on equality and our core misconception about democracy. And it goes like this. The notion of obligations comes before that of rights, which is subordinate and relative to the former, unquote, wrote the great French philosopher Simone Weil shortly before her untimely and patriotic death as she contemplated the crucial difference between our rights and our obligations. Notice that phrase, the crucial difference between our rights and our obligations. Do you think the idiots in academia understand that or they're just preaching everyone is entitled to everything all at once? Now, this article was written by Maria Popova. The title of it is C.S. Lewis on Equality and Our Core Misconception About Democracy. And the article says a right is not effectuated by itself, but only in relation to the obligation to which it corresponds. Now, what does that actually mean? She says these notions are muddled together in our treatment of democracy and its foundational principle of equality, a basic right to be conferred upon every human being, but also, pay attention, but also something the upkeep of which demands our active participation and contribution. You follow that one? You want equality in our society? Then give something to our society in plain English. 
You can't lay around in the street like a bum shooting needles into your arm and tell me you're equal to the hardworking man or woman who's killing themselves to work, keep themselves clean, and pay taxes. You understand that? So this article says that's what C.S. Lewis, who lived between 1898 and 1963, examines in a superb 1943 essay entitled Equality, originally published in The Spectator three days after Wilde's death and later included in Present Concerns, a posthumous anthology of Lewis's timeless and timely journalistic essays. There are also other individuals who have written about democracy and obligations to a democratic society. And there was a gentleman named Parker Palmer on his notion of democracy as the politics of the brokenhearted. What does that mean? C.S. Lewis expanded upon his counterintuitive case for equality as follows. He says, I do not think that equality is one of those things like wisdom or happiness, which are good simply in themselves and for their own sakes. I think it is in the same class as medicine, which is good because we are ill, or clothes, which are good because we are no longer innocent. Legal and economic equality are absolutely necessary remedies for the fall and protection against cruelty. Now, what does that mean? You have to think about these things because there's a chilling poignancy and timeliness today to what we are witnessing as our society collapses under the juggernaut of the left wing in this society. As we see the tyranny of the left arising, we have to stand up to this tyranny. Most of us do not understand that they're not seeking equality but supremacy. C.S. Lewis again is quoted by saying, there is no spiritual sustenance in flat equality. It is a dim recognition of this fact which makes much of our political propaganda sound so thin. We are trying to be enraptured by something which is merely the negative condition of the good life. That is why the imagination of people is so easily captured by appeals to the craving for inequality. Whether in a romantic form of films about loyal courtiers or in the brutal form of Nazi ideology, the tempter always works on some real weakness in our own system of values, offers food to some need which we have starved. You following all of this? The main thing is that equality requires an obligation to society. You can't just demand equality without offering something to attain that equality. Yes, all men are born equal, but you understand that not all men remain equal. Some fall out of equality because of their own behavior. I'm Michael Savage. We're talking about how BLM hijacked MLK. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.